filibuster is supported through Patreon by listeners like you. Check us out at patreon.com slash filibuster. We also get support from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions for the District of Columbia and Northern Virginia. They handle workplace discrimination, non-competition and non-solicitation litigation, civil rights, and a whole lot more. For a free consultation, go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Jason, I don't know if you saw this. I'm sure you saw uh, the emergence of Gritty, the second new weird Philadelphia sports mascot in a week last week. Uh, Gritty's for the Flyers. But I don't know if you saw this. He tweeted today, or the Flyers social team on his behalf, tweeted at the Pittsburgh Penguins uh, after they mocked Gritty's uh, arrival. Um, they sent a tweet saying you'd better sleep with one eye open bird. And it's just a picture of gritty staring into the camera with just a a dead mascot stare. Well, (laughs) a dead stare that, that is beyond, I think it's beyond a dead mascot stare because, uh, yes, it's a Lovecraftian mascot stare, right? Uh, gritty was definitely not crafted by someone who's completely all there. Um, yeah, I, I, I didn't see the tweet, but I feel like, um, I feel like I've disliked the flyers my entire life. And yet this gritty thing is actually like, all right, all right. I I can respect this. It's, it's weird. It's weird in the right ways. Uh, It makes sense given that Philly has their own um, utter nonsense mascot tradition. uh, Yeah. I saw that tweet and I was like, I mean, I was definitely on the gritty is weird and I don't get it train that the entire internet was on for a little while. And now I'm like, you know what? Stop. We should listen. Gritty has ideas. I think we should listen to them. I just enjoy the Kafka-esque absurdity that is Gritty. And I just love how they're just going for it and just going full on with the absurdity of it. Yeah, it's it's a good thing to know. In, In sports marketing, I think more than any other marketing context and social media context, you can be really weird as long as you just own it. Right. And, I mean, and they're I mean you do it. have to be funny. Yeah, like that's true. You yeah. Yeah. You're kind of lame, then it, it's, you know, it doesn't work. But what I feel like DC United social has done a good job, especially on their uh, uh, posts <laughs> the, of the, the posts of the week. Yeah, yeah, the national games of the week. They've done a good job of being absurd about it, but in a funny way. Yeah, the and most Brad, the, the last one was the most recent. Normally, it's like it was so good. We're all here, so, so we don't get fined. Type jokes, and this one was check the bottom corner, and there is a watermarked image, and it has you go on a scavenger hunt around the whole image, and then at the end, it's like go NYCFC in Chicago. Shrug. Yeah, it, was it was very great. good. I, 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 re- I really appreciate DC United Social right now. Y'all are doing a great job. Hey, <laughs> um, I, I, I hate to steer the conversation back to Lovecraftian and Lovecraftian mascots, but I'm, I'm gonna. Uh, I, I do think Gritty makes more sense the, the more I think about him, especially knowing that, that it's a Philadelphia mascot. As Jason right. said, they have their own kind of culture. And the, the, the Philly, the Philly fanatic, fanatic doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah, no. fanatic. Um, but it's, the fanatic it's, is—it's is not even in team colors. It's just a bright green <laughs> thing with like not even hair. It's stuff coming off of him. 
uh, or actually, I should say him. Uh, there is no gender, it, as far yeah. as I know. Um, uh, it has a nose that also produces a tongue. Uh, it, it, it's a nonsense thing. And so um, if you're going to create a mascot there, I mean, you might as well cr- try and create something that can stand stand in the same room and be like, look, it's just it's just as silly. And uh, I mean, I feel it, like Gritty's pretty close. Yeah, it's and and the the fanatic kind of redefined mascots for a generation, and like as far as just what mascots do and being weird and cartoony and not trying to be um, just a guy in a chicken suit, which right. weirdly it was for a little while. It, it's a much more <laughs> professional, which is also well designed in its outfit. own way, pretty bizarre. <laughs> like I kind of like the idea of like. <laughs> We need a mascot. Uh, what should we do? Like, what if we just send a guy out in a chicken costume? Like, let's I mean, think it, of literally any other idea. And then, like, four hours later, I'm sure this is a meeting in, like, the 50s or 60s. So that's like... Somebody single, says, I feel like we keep coming back to the chicken. Someone's drinking uh, whiskey. And finally, like, the boss is, like, you know, takes his glasses off and rubs his nose. And is like, is the chicken the best idea we really have? And the room is silent. And then you just smash cut to... Uh, <laughs> Like the San Diego chicken, the new mascot, <laughs> and it is a man in a chicken costume for no good reason. With Sarah McLaughlin playing underneath. <laughs> well, that that gets us much closer to, to the absurdity of now. Right, um, where 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 gritty isn't updated for 2018 kind of absurdity, complete with the the neck beard that seems to be his entire neck. <laughs> I it's it it is an wait, epic neck beard. Oh wait, are you are you are you speculating that if you were to reach into the beard, it would just like you could go all the way through if yes. you just push through the hair and you would come out the other side? I see no reason to think that's not the case. I don't want to get there that close to Gritty's hair. If anybody does, please try. And if you live no, to tell the tale, don't you do it. end up being devoured by an elder god. Uh let us know. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United, and Mascot Analysis Podcast. I'm Adam Taylor. Mascot Elmer God Podcast. Lovecraftian Mascot Podcast. I'm Adam Taylor. They are Ben Bromley and Jason Anderson. We're all from blackandredunited.com, where we talk about DC United, and we're talking about DC United and some other teams tonight. Uh, United play the Montreal Impact in, you know, the, the single biggest game of the season so far on Saturday. We'll talk about that game, why it's so big um, and what United have to do to come away with three very necessary points from that one. We're also in the second segment going to uh, break down the remaining schedule for the teams on either side of the red line in the Eastern conference right now. DC United are on the wrong side of that line, but they control their own destiny. So they could get themselves on the right side in just a couple of games. Before we do anything else, though, Ben Bromley, what are you drinking? Nuna Whiskey Sour. It's a classic drink, and I'm classically drinking it. That's all. Classically. I yeah. like it. Jason? Uh, well, I think it was last week that I intended to make a mint julep, but I didn't have any mint. Um, this week, I took one step in that direction, which is I acquired mint. Uh, I did not, however, find myself with enough time to make mint syrup and then let it cool and have have it ready for the show. Um, so instead of that, uh, I have uh, some Osa uh California brandy, 
And that's it. So hopefully next week, maybe there will be a mint julep. But uh, until then, I'm going to (laughs) keep making extremely tiny progress towards uh, having one. (laughs) I, I, I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that around the first Saturday in May, you'll, you'll have a mint julep, which will be seasonally appropriate. Right. I'm going to guess. Then it'll be on, on, uh, on time. Yeah, I'm going to guess late February, (laughs) like completely inappropriate time. That's also fine. Uh, I'll I'll drink it when it comes when it's the time to have it, which will be. Jason is not a he's not a cocktail prescriptivist. He will drink brown liquor in the summer. He will drink uh, clear liquors in the winter. It's it's been proven. I have a track track record. (laughs) Uh, I'm just drinking some cheap white wine. I don't have the bottle in front of me. I don't even I think it's a Sauvignon Blanc, but I, I have no idea what label. I'm just drinking cheap white wine. Cool. Yeah. Good. Anyway, let's uh, let's get into the soccer because there's a big one this weekend. Like I said at the top, the biggest game of DC United's 2018 so far is this coming Saturday at Audi Field. The Montreal Impact are five points and one red line ahead of the black and red. They'll be coming to Buzzard Point 7 p.m. Saturday on ESPN Plus, your local Sinclair station affiliate, whatever. Uh, but if you're around, try to get to the stadium. It, it's going to be packed. It's going to be a great atmosphere, I'm sure. Uh, I'll be there with the whole family. Um, it's it it's really as close to a must win as DC United have had since the uh, the buzzard beater, which was itself a must win uh, for for different reasons. That was a game you have to win because the team you're playing is imminently beatable and not to win is just to throw points away. This one is the definition of a six pointer because the, uh, the, the result of this game will go a long, long way towards deciding who gets the last playoff spot. United are five points back of Montreal, but with two games in hand, if they win this game, suddenly they are two points back with two games in hand. And that looks like a very manageable hill to climb. Um, Anything else to add on just the, the importance of this game? I mean, if you, I think putting it in stark terms, if we're going to show how close they could get, you know, if DC loses this game, they are eight points out of a playoff spot with five games left in the season uh, and very much not in control of their own. You don't really have much of a chance of making that work. Even if you win out, um, even if United were to win all of their other games and get 15 more points and get to 50, uh, all Montreal would have to do with their final three is, you know, yes, they'd have to pick up seven. um, But do you think DC is going to win five straight to end the season? That seems a little implausible, um, especially with the uh, the international window, which is so wonderfully timed. Um, so yeah, uh, this one they got to have it. So, despite a one to one draw at home against a, a slumping NYCFC team this weekend, Montreal are are actually in really strong form right now. Since mid June, they've got eight wins four draws and three losses. That's it. Um, their most recent uh, road trip was a four to one smackdown of the union. They're playing really good soccer right now. And that 
well, it depends on your, they're playing really successful soccer. I should say, um, if you like lightning fast counterattacks, then you, you will say that they are playing really good soccer. Um, but they are definitely a bunker and counter kind of team as much as they've ever been. Uh, despite changing coaches and trying to adopt new styles, they, they are what they are. And when they are able to do that, they're very, very good. Um, and their, their most recent road trip was a 4-1 smackdown of Philly in Philly. Um, or in Chester. Uh, I, I don't know whether Gritty was Gritty and Fang, the union's new mascot, who's a snake with arms and legs, because that's not weird. Uh, I, I, I don't know if they came up with that in response to this uh, as kind of, we have to do something to change um, because they got really, really owned by Montreal. Um in, in a game that was really as close to a blueprint as Montreal gets, they had lightning counterattacks. They had uh, Ignacio Piatti just doing magic. Um, Jason, that, that, that's really their plans A and B, right? Uh, I mean, more or less uh, at this point, um, they're, they're playing defending counter soccer because it's the only thing that has worked. Um, until, you know, you mentioned their record from uh, the from when they started winning games again. They had 10 losses inside their first 13 games. And in that sphere of time, they had four or five different game plans uh, trying to get out of their tailspin. Um, and after all that, it turns out the best thing for them to do is exactly what they were doing under Moro Biello, um, which is defend. Uh, out of a four three three, and try and hit teams on the break, absorb all that pressure, and then see if you can get out on the out on the run. And if if you can find Ignacio Piatti because he's extremely good, uh, it's not the most complicated play in the world, but it's really really effective. Um, over the course of the season, they've a- they've added players that have ended up fitting and ended up fitting that um, that style of play. Alejandro Silva. It's taken him a while to actually start to make a difference in games there at first when he, he arrived early in the season, but after the season had begun, um, it took him a while before he, you know, at, at first it just was like, well, that's a guy. Um, I don't know what else to tell you. Um, but he's extremely fast. Uh, he started to find, uh, some form in the final third. He's now on 10 assists. He's quietly started to rack them up in the last, you know, two and a half months, I guess. Um, so he helps. It's not just Piotti running in behind. It's also Silva joining him. And, you know, they're still not looking necessarily for Silva to, to be the difference maker, but he's, he's, a he's an option and they didn't have that before. Um, Safir Tider has been, been in really good form. So that's been a big bonus, but, um, I know we're going to get into some of their new faces, but they've also in the summer window, they very quietly got better. Um, and it's funny because we're talking about, Two of those are trades for MLS journeymen, but but they also added Bakari Sanya, who has Arsenal on his uh, resume, and it was just like, oh yeah, and they Manchester signed City. that guy, like <laughs> yeah, and and his signing in my because partially because it's Montreal, and um, they sometimes get lost in the shuffle uh, as far as the MLS hype train goes, but yeah, they they added to their defense a player with like several hundred games of Premier League experience. That's these are these are pretty big moves and it's, it's taken their game plan and made it much more effective all of a sudden. They also added uh, 
another wrinkle. They're able to combine in possession more than they were before because of one of the other summer additions. Quincy Ameriqua, you mentioned MLS journeyman. Uh, he and what was Michael Azira, the other, uh, the other one yes. that joined and yeah, he so just he picked scored. up guys from he, the earthquakes and Colorado and got better. Wrap your head around that. that That's like the most yeah. MLS thing you can do. <laughs> um, Azira scored the, the equalizer against NYCFC over the weekend. And, uh, Quincy Ameriqua was instrumental in the the win in Philadelphia. He's able to hold the ball up. He's also able to play on the counter. Um, he can occasionally strike a really pretty goal. Um, not always the most clinical guy, but he can put the ball in frame when he needs to. And he has made them less one dimensional um, right. by by bringing other guys in and allowing like actually providing hold up play. They don't have to play just on the counter anymore. Right. They have they have kind of a a second option. They still want to play on the counter and love, you know, putting their ears back in the, to use the cliche and just running the field, but they, they don't have to do that. And only that anymore. And that that's been a part of their resurgence too, I think. Yeah. Um, Ameriqua is not just a goal poacher. Whereas with Mateo Mancosu, that's really what they had was just a classic poacher. Um, he's certainly not as technical as Mancosu, his finishing isn't as good. Um, but what you get with Ameriqua is constant effort, um, a lot of physical play. He's a lot like Dom Dwyer in that he's always mixing it up with defenders. Um, he's maybe not the most impressive player with the ball at his feet. Sometimes it's kind of all over the place. Sometimes he does something that's really, really good. Other times his first touch lets him down. Um, but that added athleticism, that physical strength and, and that willingness to just be physical um, has it ends up opening up space for Piotti and for Silva and for Ty Dare, because now you've got somebody that's just constantly bodying up to defenders. He's always available to as an outlet. Um, he can hold the ball up. So it's not Piotti having to beat someone through the midfield to then start the counter. They can just make a pass instead, um, which as good as Piotti is at dribbling, it's easier to just make a pass. Um, if you if you are looking for the percentages, you would much rather just hit the ball to someone's feet and ha- wait until they you know they wait for you to get into the spot you want to be in, and then they lay it off to you and you go from there. Um, Azira, it's a similar situation. He has, you know, he's never going to be anyone's uh, MVP by any stretch of the imagination, or even the kind of player that wins. Um, like supporters player of the year. He's probably never going to be that guy, Um, but he's fast. He covers a ton of ground. Um, He's a good ball winner, which they, they didn't really have. Um, Ty Dare covers a lot of ground, but he's more of an attacking player. Um, Samuel Piet likes to stay in that anchor role. They, they weren't really that good at picking off um, balls in midfield. It's sort of like when DC didn't have Knaus, um, they were missing someone like Azira and Canals is a lot better than Azira, but um, it does help to have that guy on your team. Um, His goal, which I I still can't get over is it's his first goal in his MLS career. He's on like 95 games um, and he finally scores a goal. And it's a goal that DC really needed to not happen. Um, But uh, it's just that, added mobility, I think has changed things for them. Um, that physicality, I think the fact that they've started to resemble less of a Montreal team, uh, where in the past they had a lot of guys that were maybe a little less rough and tumble, um, than you see around MLS and 
they went and got two MLS role players who were MLS guys through and through. And it's and really helping them in a yeah. sense like, yeah. And, and they've, they've now they've got that scrappiness to them. And all of a sudden um, their record reflects that what, how much that has meant to them. Um, and they're, they're just a, a much better team as a result. You know, it's not, it's not too common we it that we see this around the league where you see someone add these guys, you'd be like, okay, those are solid depth pieces for the, the stretch run. Um, they shouldn't be the guys that revolutionize how you play or or at least take it to another level. And it, ha- it they have absolutely helped elevate Montreal from a team that was like, well, they're in the running, but you know, there was a while there where they felt kind of like the revs to me, mm-hmm. not in style, but in, in overall ability, like, well, they're in the running, but you, they're gonna not quite have enough to get across the line. And now you look at them and it's like, all right, this is a team that DC is going to have to actually prevent from getting in because they have enough to get there. If they're left to their own devices, they will take that six spot. Yeah. And uh, I just, I just ahead, want to jump in. I just, yeah. I just want to jump in and say, uh, yes, uh, the Montreal impact are better since we played them in August, but DC United's also better. Uh, Bill Mead is a definite improvement over David Osted, who was the goalkeeper the last time we played them, and they've had a lo- they've had more time to play with Russell Knaus, with Lucho Acosta being way better, with Wayne Rooney combining with Lucho Acosta, uh, with Paul Ariola playing a full ninety minutes probably, and so I think it's also a better DC United team than the last time they played the Montreal Impact, and so. It's better on both sides, and I hope that DC United was able to play them to a 1-1 draw in the past, and hopefully they've improved enough that they can play them to a 2-1 draw or a 2-0 win. 2-1 draw. draw. Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean. Uh, (laughs) That game feels like it took place in the winter. It was in early August. It was in early August. Yeah, I mean... I don't even know how many games DC has played. I'm going to figure it out. I'm I'm curious. Now. Right. Well, right. while you do that, I I want to say uh, Matt Doyle on Extra Time Radio this week was talking about Michael Azira to go back to to the impact, and he made a really good point that the the year or year and a half when the Rapids were really good under Pablo Mastroeni, um, mm-hmm. where, where they were defying all the odds and just making the bunker stick, like no, like like very few other yes. teams had. Uh, Michael Azira was a part of that. He was a central midfielder for them. Then he was there, one of their, you know, I think they had maybe eight number sixes on the field. He was one of them. Right. Uh, and he was a, a key part of that. And so Montreal also play a bunker. They're, they're a little bit more aggressive on the counterattack than Colorado ever were. But it, he makes a lot of sense in that, that position for them. And Ben, you're, you're absolutely right. DC United's a lot better. Wayne Rooney has more fully integrated at this point. Lucho is, you know, quietly making a case to enter the MVP race. Not, not quietly, just, um, Under the but, I mean, when Joseph Martinez shatters the goal record, that that's the it's, MVP race. Yeah. It's, but, it's kind of a tough year to be in the running for MVP. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the race for second place in the right. MVP and, and Lucho's making that case right now. Um, Wayne Rooney also, you know, he's not going to, get a lot of talk in the MVP race, but he, he's been fantastic. I remember, uh, before his first game, I 
guessed he would score seven goals and get six assists. And he's practically there already with five games to go. He's at five goals and six assists. Um, he, and, and Russell Knauss has come back, like you guys have said, plus obviously Ben Bill Hamid. Uh, so the question is, other than not making hosp, not, not well, passing. Oh, go ahead. I was just saying before we get too far, it's, it's nine games. DC has played nine games since they last played Montreal. <laughs> They and they're way better in those nine games than they were right. against the impact. So, you know, they've played almost or a little over 25% of an MLS season. <laughs> and they still have two games in hand. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> over Montreal and everyone ahead of them in the standings. Through the schedule. Yeah, the, the schedule has completely broken my ability to know what, what time it is on the count. Like, I can tell what time it is during the day. But as far as where we are in the year, it's like, ah, I don't know anymore. I already have a problem with that. Like my my wife has told me, and she's correct that I have a calendar deficiency. My wife, I no no Ben <laughs> Ben. I don't know why. Why would you? I think we should hear Ben out on this. I, I don't. <laughs> Gritty has ideas worth listening to. I'm not sure Ben does anymore. <laughs> I'm normally on Team Bromley, but but right now I'm very not. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't help it. Um, there's, there's apparently reportedly, this might be made up a, a psychological condition where you cannot resist, or the people who suffer from this cannot resist making bad jokes. They literally cannot help it. I mean, I am fully on board of a team pun and team dad joke. So I might be right in that. You uh, are a father. Yeah. I think what I should have done, the punchline to that is it's called fatherhood. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Anyway, now that we're completely off the rails, uh, <laughs> Montreal loves to counterattack. Uh, Philly gave them a couple of really good opportunities. One on a corner where they had literally everyone e- except one defender inside Montreal's 18. That was the, the fourth goal that Montreal scored. Yeah. And then another one where there was just a hospital ball right in the center circle. And it, it yes. and Montreal were off to the races. Other Which, than not doing those Why couldn't those Philadelphia two- do that when they came to Audi Field? Right? Um, that would have been helpful. I mean, Philly's also been on a tear. We'll we'll talk about that a little. Very irritating. Well, it's irritating that they have been on a tear, except when they're playing Montreal. Like, couldn't they have slipped up against someone else? Literally, if they're they're going to do it it properly, uh, you know, slip up against Orlando. Um, slip up against Colorado. Don't slip up against the team that actually matters. Um. But I guess against NYCFC, slip up against Atlanta United. Anyone else? Anyway, against Montreal, um, outside of not hitting hospital balls in the center of the park, how do you game plan against them? Um, I think you need to accept that it's going to require some patience. Um, you've got to you're going to have more of the possession unless something goes horribly wrong. Um, you're going to end up dominating possession. Their game against NYCFC, for example. Montreal was at home and still had only 38.8% of possession. Um, you're, you're going to get more of the shots most likely, but not necessarily the, you, you might not dominate the high percentage chances because those counterattacks are when they succeed necessarily, they end with fewer people doing the defending and therefore the chance usually ends up being pretty good. Um, you need to be really, really, really smart about what passes you're choosing. Um, 
you don't want to see, you know, it's not just about hospital balls. It's also don't telegraph the pass that you're going to make because that's when Montreal is going to look to jump, especially now that um, with Azira joining tight air, they've actually got the legs to do it. They, they've got that quickness over three or four steps that they didn't have before. Um, the fact that they now have uh, Sonia as an outlet down the right wing, uh, when, when they counter, they can bring him in as a, a overlapping threat as well. Um, so they've got they've gotten faster. They've got better judgment now. So every pass has to be crisp. It has to be not too obvious, but you know, you don't want to give yourself have, you don't have to play a brilliant pass every single time or cause then you'll never get anywhere. Um, you want to make it easy on yourself without being predictable. And it's a tough balance to strike. The good news is that with Rooney, with Acosta, this team has shown that they can break down a team that's come to bunker. If you remember, Vancouver showing up to Audi field, they came to sit deep and hit on the break and they ended up getting dismantled. Um, you know, that's kind of the the blueprint is you, you are going to have to pick the lock a little bit. This is not a game for throwing the ball forward and just trying to kick the door in. This is a game where it's going to take some patience and uh, a little bit of thought, but I, I am happy to report that nowadays United actually has, you know, the, their front line is led by one of the smartest players in the league. They've got Lucho making great runs off the ball underneath of him. Um, you know, we'll get into who else is going to be in that lineup, whether Assad or Ariola or Stieber will be in there. But those are all three of those guys are good at being that other runner um, getting into dangerous spots. So um United is not, they're not vulnerable to this like they used to be. Um, But at the same time, we have to admit, you know, the last time these two teams played each other, Montreal dominated the game. Um, It wasn't close. DC was extremely lucky to get anything out of that game. And it might be, it might end up being up the point that is that, or that game might be the difference between them missing and and making the playoffs down the road. Um, but it is going to take an improved performance because against Montreal last time, it wasn't very good. And um, that's, they kind of played into the impact strengths and this time they're going to have to show that they, they have the, the tools to do it. They have to put it together really is um, the main thing. If they can play the kind of soccer we've seen with Rooney and Acosta dominating a lot of the touches and getting in, into spots in zone 14 and those little flick ons that Rooney likes to play then we're probably going to, you would say United should probably get enough goals to win the game. If we see them getting a little desperate and a little too aggressive early on, then they're kind of setting themselves up to get hit on the break. So Ben, who do you want to see in the lineup for, for DC United? We know Rooney will be in there. We know Acosta, we know Canals will be in there. Uh, Jason alluded to it. Yamil Assad could be back. Steve Goff reported today. Kofi yes. Opari is likely out. Um, for, for this one as well. Nick DeLeon is on his way back, but isn't quite back yet. Um, that, that said, I think we're all more comfortable with O'Neill Fisher than we, Fisher than we were a couple months ago. But who, who do you want to see in the lineup for this one? If Apare is out, I want Jalen Robinson, even though Ben Olsen won't do that. Uh, but I want Jalen Robinson over Frederick Briant. Um, uh, Fisher, Mora, fine with them on uh, the the fullback positions. Uh, Moreno and Canaus. I want uh, Acosta in the middle. I want Assad and Areola on the wings. And I want 
uh, Rooney. It's a, it's a pretty standard lineup from what Ben Olsen has been doing the, uh, for the for the last amount of time. Uh, I think the main difference is just I want Robinson over Briant, and I don't think Ben Olsen will do it, but that's what I want. That's fair, especially on the counterattack. Jalen has a lot more speed than Briant does, um, especially lateral quickness. I would and say, on, and on the defense part too. Yeah, that's that's what I mean. Like, oh, oh on defending that, on the that counter. counter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I'm not saying Jalen Robinson is going to be running up into DC United's counter. He's not going to do. He's not going to be doing a decky. No, he will not be emulating emulating Dan Yakovich. Although he was usually in possession when that would happen, he would just like find himself carrying the ball forward. Uh, Still stressed me out. Oh, totally. But but it was fun. And Decky was always the fastest guy on the field, even though no one recognized that fact. Um, I, I, four, two, three, one, I think is the obvious one for, yeah. for this one, though, Ben Olsen threw a curveball against the Red Bulls running out that three, five, two ish kind of setup. Um, but it worked for like 30 minutes. Yeah. But for the it first time, like that. for a week of training, uh, I guess they, they could have been working on it for longer than they, a week. They were probably and, working on it for a while and just finally yeah. broke it out. Yeah, uh, that's a club that's that's interesting. Um, I, I would say the three back is, might be harder to counter against just because there's that extra defender back there, um, except on set pieces when everyone's up. But uh, it, it's interesting. I don't think I want to see it, but I'm intrigued by the the outside possibility of it. Uh, they were and, so and, much better when they switched, though. In that they game. were. They they were, but it's. I'm not advocating for it. I'm I'm saying the it, it's a fun exercise to think about. Sure. Um. But but it, like I said, the four two three one is the obvious choice for this one. It, it matches up well with the four three three. You have the one extra man in defense. Um. You have O'Neill Fisher potentially, uh, running into space, uh, there, which has proven fruitful for United in recent weeks. So I think it the 4231 definitely makes more sense, but the 352 is interesting to think about. That's all. I think the 352 is maybe it belongs in a case with glass that says break in case Yumil Assad is out. Um Yeah, absolutely. But if Yumil yes. Assad is not out, then it pretty much has no it, it has no utility. Um I think he's important enough. Yeah. He's important enough to this team that um, you've got to find a formation that plays to his strengths and it doesn't, Um, which I, I hopefully this uh, week off has been enough time for him to actually be able to start. Um, You saw immediately the difference he made against the Red Bulls that give and go he had on the, the, what should have been the game winner um, was the kind of thing that had been missing while he was out that, that little extra sharpness in the attacking third um, where he drew those extra markers and still got the ball away from his feet feet. Um, So yeah, if he can't go, I I think you'd still probably play four, two, three, one anyway for this game. Um, And it's Ariola and Stieber instead of Ariola and Segura. Um, Like I said earlier, you need lock pickers in this game and Segura is more of a kick the door in kind of guy. Um, maybe, maybe the most kick the, the door in kind of guy on the team. Um, and th- this is a game where that subtlety needs to be there. So whether it's Steber, whether it's Assad, um, Ariola, I think, 
I think we've kind of settled on is is not going anywhere uh, for the time being um, for, for the form he's been in. I think he's going to start. Um, but yeah. Other than that, I, I don't really have any, I think I feel less strongly at center back than, than Ben does. Um, I'm curious. I'm curious about whether Olsen's interest in Briant um, will come down to his passing ability. He's brought up Briant's passing ability more than once. Um a few games ago when Opare was substituted, that was the reasoning he gave was that Briant was the better passer. Um, well, in that I game, I, this was the Minnesota game, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Opare uh, came out and Durkin slid into center back. And Durkin no, 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 further back, further back. Um, oh, before Minnesota. Was, um, but um, Opare was substituted. It was DC's third sub and they brought Briant. I think it was against Philadelphia, actually, now that I think about it. Right. Um, but uh, his passing is, in Olsen's opinion, is, I think, superior to the rest of the available options at center back by a lot. Um, I don't that's not my opinion, but that, that's my yeah, read I, on what I, Olsen thinks. I don't agree uh, with that. Um, and so if if that's Olsen's mindset, then I think this game is one where um, you would want that passing ability because the impact are going to sit deep. The center backs are going to see a lot of the ball. Um, you might even, you know, honestly, you might be able to justify playing Durkin over Moreno because of that quandary. The other side of that is, of course, um, Moreno having to ability to the counter. Right. You're defending in transition. Moreno is much better having to defend on the turn than Durkin is at this point. Um, and so that's probably why it will be Moreno. But, um, you know, that's maybe a sub we could see if this game is zero zero you know in the 65th 70th minute and and no one else is you know maybe it's Olsen's first sub um you might see Durkin come in for Moreno to open the game up a little bit but I think from the start the idea would be if you're going to have somebody deep having a lot of passing uh moments having to to hit those cross field balls he's probably going to trust Briant with that um but yeah other than that I think the lineup kind of picks itself right now with everyone that's available you know Nick DeLeon is training full out, but you know, that's, he's had two or three of those since he has missed almost the entire season with an injury. So um, I don't think we can count on him for this one or maybe even the next game. Um, But from there, maybe he starts to get peppered in as a substitute of some kind. Um, But yeah, I play anywhere. Right. Uh, His versatility, I think, especially if DC is winning, if this is going according to plan, and United is winning a lot of games, then we're probably going to see DeLeon get into every single game as a sub, as a um, let's kill this game off kind of substitute. Um, because I think, you know, you know he'll hang on to the ball. Yeah, exactly. And like, you know, I know we're getting away from the topic, but it is kind of the first time we've had to talk about Nick DeLeon in forever. Um, if you're bringing, you know, if you're looking to kill the game off and you bring Ariola off, um, if you're bringing DeLeon in his role instead of Segura, um, you are probably going to have a higher passing percentage. You're probably going to have a little more um, defensive know-how than Segura can bring. So um, it's definitely a really nice option to have. At the same time, I feel like if Fisher's form doesn't drop, he's probably the starter until the season ends at right back. Yeah. Yeah, that all sounds right to me. Uh, one thing to be wary of, the last time DC United had kind of a resurgent autumn and Montreal came to town, they they blew the doors off of RFK don't, and knocked DC United out of the playoffs. Don't think so, I haven't been thinking about it. Oh, yeah. I, I've been thinking about it so much. I, I felt that it I would have been remiss if I didn't 
mention that thought aloud. Yeah. So I'm sure it's on Ben Olsen's mind as well. Uh, this is not the 2016 team. This is, I, I would say, a a more fundamentally solid version of DC United and not a lightning in the bottle kind of thing, right. which 2016 proved to be. Uh, so, so hopefully United, because they are more fundamentally good uh, at soccer than they were in 2016 when they were just going out and doing something that made no sense. Uh, hopefully it works better this time and we'll, we'll find out Saturday at Audi field. Uh, we will be right back to talk about the run in uh, of the, the 2018 season. So stick around. This is filibuster. Hey Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages, or or do something else oh, nefarious in a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back. It's Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Uh, it's time now for kind of a, a red line rundown of the run in for twenty eighteen. Come up with that just now. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, <laughs> I, I had kind of kicked it around or kicked around red line something, but yeah, red line rundown for the run in uh, was just right now. Sometimes you you slip and and fall into something good. And then your friend compliments you on it, and you completely lose what momentum you had. And sometimes yeah, but- it's just Adam's news roundup time. <laughs> I don't think that was the full name of that segment. I don't care. You're the one that came up with Adam's whatever, whatever, whatever. Adam's fun time news roundup time. Okay, there it is. Anyway, uh, <laughs> we're down to the wire here in the 2018 season in major league soccer. And uh, we are going to look at some of the Eastern conference teams vying for playoff spots. The top is, you know, the supporter shield race is what it is. Um, Atlanta, the two New York teams are in, there's no question. Uh, Columbus is in fourth at 47 points. Phillies in fifth now with 46 points after uh, a big week from them. And they are, you know, going to Houston this week to play in the Open Cup final. This is probably their most successful season ever. Whatever happens in that game, even if it's their third lost final. 
But those results, getting them up to 46 points, effectively puts them out of yeah. reach. Uh, 538 has them 99% plus to make yeah. the, the them, playoffs now. And Them getting two goals from Jay Simpson uh, with a B team on the field to defeat a full-strength sporting Kansas City is one of those where it's like, all right, fine, we're not catching you. Okay, we get it. Yeah, Gritty had his thumb on the scale for that <laughs> game. And... You you can't you just can't compete with that. Okay. <laughs> uh, that leaves one playoff spot in the Eastern Conference. Montreal currently occupies the sixth spot with forty points, thirty games played, uh, twelve wins on the season. That's the first tiebreaker. Minus five goal differential. That's the second tiebreaker. DC's right behind them, five points back, two games in hand. Like I mentioned in the last segment, uh, thirty-five points, nine wins goal differential of zero. If they're going to get into the playoffs, they're probably going to have a positive goal differential. So that's, you know, that's something Uh, tied with DC on points right now are the new England revolution. They have one fewer win a goal differential of minus two, and they played one more game than DC Uh, down in ninth place, Toronto FC, uh, the defending, well, not so defending best team uh, ever Uh, on 30 points from 29 games. Uh, minus seven goal differential. They are not officially dead, but they're, they're definitely uh, hanging on by a thread right now. Um, and if DC takes care of their business, then Toronto will not come close to making the playoffs. So we're going to focus on the three teams that are directly vying for that spot in in the in sixth place in the final posi- final playoff position. Uh, we will go in reverse order because we talked before the segment and that's what we decided to do. (laughs) Uh, The New England Revolution right now um, have a little bit of a hill to climb. They played one more game than DC United, even on points. Uh, They have five games remaining uh, this year and not exactly the easiest schedule three of the games are on the road they have one gimme at home and and that's really it they go to toronto who despite being well outside the playoff spots are uh, a dangerous team at any given moment and when they have josie altador and sebastian jovinko and uh their myriad other very good players jonathan osorio michael, michael bradley. bradley yeah you know you may have heard of them they they can they can play with anyone at atlanta yeah, the Supporter Shield leaders. Uh, at home against Orlando, that's the gimme. At RSL, just a random trip to the mountains. Uh, the Rocky Mountains, not not the ones that are actually close to New England. Uh, and then back to end the season against Montreal, who could very well be playing for the final playoff spot still at that point. Uh, even if New England's no longer in it, the race, which I kind of expect at that point, uh, Montreal very well could be. So... Jason, Ben, what what stands out to you guys about their schedule and their run in? I think I think the the gimme that you uh, proposed against Orlando is not that much of a gimme at all. I think they have a pretty difficult schedule because Orlando's always, I mean, yes, they're they're shit right now, but they're always feisty and especially at home. I think they will at least pose a a quandary to a. New England team that just can't figure it out on the road. And so I, I think 
I think their play so far this year has been just indicative of the team they are right now, and I don't see them pulling it out in any particular way. Yeah, I I think the Revs have been in trouble for a while now. Um, there, there was a point earlier this year where um, the schedule kind of underlined their their issues, where they had played more than just about everybody, and because of the vagaries of playing up at um, Gillette Stadium uh, with when the Patriots are in season, uh, it means that they don't get that many late season home games. And this year is kind of an extreme version of that. Um, I, I, I think I want to say it was like, a like a 75, 25 split as far as away versus home games for them. And now we're really in the meat of it where they've got one home game, or I guess they've got two home games. Um, right. Uh, but you know, in the next four, when they absolutely need some help, they've got a trip to Toronto. They've got a trip to Atlanta who are probably going to slaughter them. Um, RSL has been great at home. They've got to go out there. Um, and that game's also a Thursday game. Uh, so they go Saturday at home and then they go out to RSL midweek, which is going to be kind of a weird one. Um, but the, the main thing, when I look at New England, I pull up the little form guide section on MLS's website. This is where I was going to go to. Yeah. New England, since July 7th, they, they started this run with a 0-0 draw against Seattle. They have one win since then. It's it's one win, five draws, six losses. Um, and their, that, their win that, immediately before that, by the way, was against us. Yes, which was a game they didn't really earn. Um, no. If if we remember that one, um, yeah, they've been not. I mean, the Revs aren't bad. They're better than I thought they would be when I watched them in preseason with Brad Friedel, where it, just, it appeared that Brad Friedel's strategy was to uh, come close to getting into a fist fight without actually doing so, uh, rather than engage in a soccer match of any sort. Um, they've been better than I expected, but I think we've really kind of hit the point where they're they're not going to pull this out. They. Uh, I mean, they are still in the running um, because of the math that we've already laid out here. But realistically, you know, I don't know that I see them getting more than one point in Toronto. They're going to lose at Atlanta. They'll probably beat Orlando, but they're also going to lose at RSL. And I don't think they're well equipped to deal with Montreal either. So, I mean, they're looking at four or five points. Yeah, five points below the red line. And their ceiling is maybe seven. Um, which is not not very good when you're in in their their uh, situation right now. If they got seven points Mon- to finish for Montreal to finish ahead of them, they would need to win one game for the rest of the season. So yeah, the Revs are in deep deep trouble, and I I don't see them hanging on for this thing. DC United are immediately ahead of them uh, in the standings, tied on points, but United have. Uh, more wins on the year, nine wins to Which, New England's eight and an MLS that matters yes. in That's no other t- league in the world. Somehow in no other league in the world does the number of wins matter other than they get you three points a piece. But United also has a better goal differential. United's on zero month. Uh, New England's on minus two uh, United's remaining schedule home against Montreal. And you'll notice a theme here, home against Chicago, home against Dallas, home against Toronto, home against NYC, and then a road trip to Chicago or Bridgeview to to end the season. Um, much more favorable schedule than the New England one, wouldn't you say, Ben? Yeah, I mean, 
not even because of the uh, that most of those are at home, but just because of the teams that they're playing. Um, Chicago uh, has been bad recently, and they can take advantage of having two games against them. And I think that, I mean, uh, given the points per game in the past two months. DC United is one of the better teams in the entire league. And so if they can continue to capitalize that on uh, lesser teams, basically not on New York Red Bulls level defensive teams, I still think they can pull this out. I know that 538 right now has them at about a 38% chance of making the playoffs, but if they can pull pull it out against these kind of teams, and I, I think 538, under, uh, underestimates them a little bit just because they don't know sp- uh, the specifics of the teams that they're playing as well as we do. I mean, I still think it's their underdogs at this point, well, but their, their algorithm, I think underrates DC United somewhat because it, there's a lot of data influencing their assessment of DC United from before Wayne Rooney yeah, and Audi too. field. Um, yep. And so, so DC United's rating is ha, has an anchor on it from from the past, and that's probably the right way to do those algorithms uh, because not every team is going to completely change the way they they play and add uh, a a kind of franchise changing player. Uh, but the I, I think that that the thirty eight percent or whatever chance five thirty eight is giving DC United changes a lot based on what happens against Montreal. If United wins that game, which 538's system, I looked at it earlier today, they had DC United at just under 50% to win and 25% to draw, and Montreal about like 26% to win. So that that's the way they're rating that game. And if United does get all three points, then that all of a sudden I think they become favorites to make the playoffs um, from any system, e- even if they're still a couple points behind. I, I will say though that one that that sounds like if anyone spent twenty minutes looking at MLS results historically and was like, "All right, here's a game. Who give out the odds of the home team winning a draw or the road team winning?" You would probably say, "Okay, the home team is probably going to win fifty percent, and then yeah. a draw is somewhere between twenty and thirty, and loss a home team loss would be somewhere between twenty and thirty. Yeah, um, but at the same time, it, it it does make some sense because Montreal is set up to play on the road, and yeah, and these I'm two teams are very I, even. Oh uh, yeah, but they're, their, they're not considering they're not considering Montreal's set up on the road, right? Oh, I'm um, I'm sure they're looking at the road performance. That knowing knowing how five thirty eight operates, they're looking at home versus road splits as well. Splits, yes, but not style. There's no, there's yeah, no way to true. affect that. Yeah, but um, yeah, I, I think the main thing that I take from that is actually that it's a good reminder that for Montreal, this game isn't quite as vital uh, as it is for United. It, if Montreal loses this game, they've still got a way out, more or less. They don't have necessarily control over their own destiny, but they've still they'd still be the team in a playoff spot. DC would still be having to get those points somehow. Um, It's one of those um, one in the hand or two in the bush kind of things. Um, And that's a, you know, there's a real argument for Montreal being kind of comfortable uh, having the points rather than 
um, having the opportunity to get more points. Um, the other thing that the 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 data from um, from their algorithm points out is that for Montreal, a draw is almost as damaging as uh, as a a win would be. Or, or for DC, I mean, a draw is as damaging as yeah. Montreal winning. Um, if they draw, it's five points. But now DC has five games to make up five points on somebody, and that's pretty difficult. Even with the schedule help being so helpful that's still a pretty difficult task. Um, They would have to match Montreal in for the three games they have left and then win the other two essentially, Um, which is asking a lot. Uh, You know, we haven't talked about Montreal's schedule yet. It's not easy, but it's not too hard. They're not playing Atlanta. Um, They're not playing Kansas city. DC has Dallas, um, which is, a game I've been worried about for a little while now because yeah. Dallas leading, or I don't know if they're in first anymore in the West, but they're not in first. Um, but, or no, they didn't know they did. They, they are back in first. They were briefly not, but they are. Okay. Yeah. They're um, two points up They're They're at 53 right. points right now. 53 points. And this is a team that has only given up 38 goals this year. They're one of the toughest defenses in the league to break down. Maybe they Oscar, very, maybe Oscar I mean, Perhill would be distracted by the fact that he's about to become USMNT coach. I mean, that would be helpful. He denied being interviewed, which hopefully he's still having to make those denials when Dallas comes to town. Another thing worth noting that Dallas and that Toronto game are during a FIFA window, which means Paul Ariola could be gone. Junior Moreno could be gone. Um, who knows? Russell Knauss might be gone at that point uh, if Dave Sarakin listens to the press. Right. Uh, um, also, Alex, at that, although at Neil that point... Fisher, Bill Hamid, maybe there, there's a lot of absent Zoltan Stieber. There's a lot of people who could be gone for Although those at that two point, games, like, at least it, one of them. If Dave Sarakin takes players out of uh, Dave Sarakin, a lame duck coach takes players out of teams vying for playoffs uh, spots, he should just be fired on the spot because these games well, don't matter at all. Unfortunately, this is us soccer. I mean, for our listeners that follow women's soccer closely, the US USSF tells Jill Ellis, call whoever you want, whenever you want. It, the NWSL results, they'll just have to deal with it. Um, they really don't care on that side. And I get the sense that the way Soccer House is run currently, I get the sense that they really don't care uh, on the other side. Um, and I mean, yeah, but I mean, Jill, yeah. we, we all agree that Jill Ellis probably should have been fired a while ago, so... Sure, but that, it's an institutional thing that I'm concerned with. That yeah, that yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah, you know, and you know, yes, Dave Sarakin and Ben Olson have a pre-existing relationship. Sarakin was an assistant coach when Ben Olson was a player here, um, with, with those DC United teams of the past. So there is a a relationship where Olson can get on the phone and be like, "Look, we really need these guys." Um, but on the other side of that, like for a player like Knaus, for example how many, you know, how many more chances does he get um, before the ship sails? Um, Benny's also been on record as pretty steadfastly refusing to stand in the way of players being able to represent the U S or, or there any country that they, they have eligibility for. He, he's a player guy. He, he was obviously he was a player and he believes a lot in, in the national team program. And And it's it's important for individuals. And it's not just being uh, uh, nice to everybody. There also is a tangible impact on morale. Um, yeah. If players know that you're going to um, 
hold them back in. And this is, you know, for a player like Canals, if he breaks in with the national team, that's another way to make money. And if he's playing well with the national team in a, in a year or so, that's a way to make a big money transfer. I mean, he he went to Europe before he he came to MLS for a reason. He is a player that wants to play as high at as high a level as he can. Um, and if that's the path to him ending up somewhere back over there where he's at a higher profile uh, club making more money, that's a big big deal. And with the way things are going at that position. With with the national team pool, there's a lot of guys available. Um, it's a deep position. If this is his one shot at breaking through, they're probably going to say, "Okay, you know, let him let him go." Um, and maybe Olson tries to you know negotiate. And he says, "Okay, um, if you're going to call Russell, can we at least keep Paul?" Um, you know, something like that. But we we never know how those are going to go because we don't know how much you know. All the cards are on the national team side. Um, it's a FIFA window. If they call someone up, DC United is obliged to let the player go. Um, and if Dave Sarakin decides to call someone in and says, look, I understand where you guys are coming from, but we want to look at these guys. That's it. Like that's the end of the conversation. There's no, there's no, um, there's nothing DC can do at that point. Um, oh yeah. I'm just, I'm just mostly mad that Dave Sarakin is still there. Well, yeah, that's a, Joe Wixon is still existing. But yeah, that's an existential. That's an existential thing that is beyond the scope yeah. of this here podcast tonight. Right, <laughs> but yeah, you know those two games. Uh, I think um, Steve Goff mentioned earlier today that um, the Jamaican players, uh, if called up, which mm-hmm. almost certainly they will be, would be back in time for the TFC game. Um, but you know, FC Dallas, we might need to see. Um, you know, it could be a start for Kevin Ellis um, if Nick DeLeon is fit enough. I, I think that might be too close. You know, that game's on October 13th. It might not be long enough for him to actually be fit, given how long he's been out. But, um, yeah, we might be facing a team that's great at breaking down the wings with someone who is not the starting right back. So that's worrisome. Uh, NYCFC slumping right now. Who knows? They I, there's enough time between now and uh, mid to late October that they could turn things around. Um, United are going to be playing more games in this period than anyone else in the league. So there's it, it's an opportunity, but it's also a burden. It, it, at least it's not a game every three days there's, for there's only an extended one, period. Right. There's only one midweek game. It's the TFC game. And it's a home game. You know, they, yeah. they don't have to fly further. And it's Chicago. between two home games. Right. So it's, so it's the, the midweek game with no travel, you know, and, and that, you know, they will have to rotate to get through it. There will, there will be some rotation somewhere in there. Um, but not having to make those flights somewhere. That's certainly helpful. The fact that it's a Saturday, Wednesday, Sunday week, uh, week eight, in scare quotes, um, that's helpful because they get that extra rest day uh, after both games. They're not getting that. They don't have that one game that's on a two day turnaround. Um, so that's pretty important. But yeah, it, if I'm looking at this whole thing, the game other than I mean, the Montreal game is obviously, you know, looming over everything right now. But if DC gets through that, then the game that I'm worried about is that Dallas game. That one's going to be extremely tricky. Luckily, United not in a point, not at a point yet where they they have to win out. But 
a lot rides on this Montreal game. Yeah. And speaking of Montreal, they uh, they're the the last team we're going to talk about tonight. They have four games remaining, starting with this weekend's game here in the district. After that, they are home against the Crew, home uh, against Toronto, and at New England to end things, as we mentioned earlier. Um, two fewer games than DC United over this stretch, and Jason, as you alluded to, not an easy schedule. It, Toronto can beat anybody on their day. They just haven't most of the time this year. And they love and then, to beat Montreal. They, they really yeah. do. Yeah. I mean, a, a Canadian. They, they beat them in the a, Canadian Cup. Yeah. Yeah. Canadian rivalry is always something. I mean, yeah. It's always Those games something. are always good to watch. Like, if you've. Does that game contrast with the DC game? Because if it doesn't, that one might be worth watching just for the fireworks. I think it is the same day as DC's game against NYCFC, but. Um, well, that means it's it's a Sunday game, so the TV uh, schedules are set up, right? It's staggered, yeah. Yeah, so... Are, are they going to move that to the Big O? Because I know that it, it's uh, in Montreal. Sometimes they'll they'll play big right. games at Olympic I, Stadium in that, that I do not hard, know. hard carpet. I'll, I'll look it up while you guys talk. Okay. Um, so, other than Toronto... Uh, the other three games are against teams either in the playoffs as, as far as Columbus or in the playoff hunt for DC and, and Montreal who might not be in the hunt anymore by the, the time they play. But as of right now, they are well, yeah, at for, least technically in the hunt. Well, yeah, I mean, for Montreal playing the Columbus crew is going to be a difficult game because Columbus has been a tough beat for anyone uh, so far this year. And we can, well, I mean, we won't in this episode, but a lot of ink has been spilt about, they're uh, off the field issues, but on the field, they have been a save the crew. really good team. Yes. Save the crew for sure. Uh, they've been a really good team this year. And on paper, you wouldn't think that Montreal would have a, I mean, they would have a like one third chance at best to beat, uh, to beat the crew. So they're going to have to, on paper, they're going to have to rely on beating uh, Toronto. They're, uh, uh, their regular rival and beat DC United, who is vying for the same playoff spot they are. So they're going to have to play, even though they don't have very many games left, all of their games left are high stakes. Yeah, because uh, I'll jump in. They are playing TFC at Stad Saputo. Okay. Which I don't know what influence that has on the outcome. That was more of a just why'd you do that, Adam? Random interest question. Because it, it's. A valid question for a late October game in Montreal as well. Yeah. Um, So it could be, that could be a snow game. It's possible. That would be pretty wild. It it could also be a syrup game. That would be nice. I like syrup. Yeah. I have nothing to add to that. I like waffles and pancakes and French toast. I like like things that have syrup on them. Yes. I like the flavor of maple. Um, not the easiest run in for Montreal, but as Jason alluded to earlier, they have the inside position right now. And that changes if DC United wins on Saturday. But uh, the, even with a win, DC United would be behind Montreal, um, even with games in hand. The, the points that are on the board are what matters at the end of the year. So, uh Montreal right now are, are in, in pole position for that last spot. 
DC United is going to have a lot to say about it. Uh, I, I imagine, as Ben said, the crew and and Toronto will also have plenty to say. I don't know how much New England's going to say because they their their form has been so bad lately um, that that you know their their earlier run is really the only reason they're still in the conversation right now. Right. Uh, but I like. I, I feel like DC United are in an okay position right now. They could be a little better if they, you know, if they open the season in Orlando, not conceding a goal to 10 man purple lions. If they hold on against the red bulls and, and don't concede from a leading position three different times. If they, you know, there are lots of what ifs where DC United's in an even better pos- position now and already above the red line. But even with all those uh, could-have-beens, United are in control of their own destiny right now. And now is the time to, you know, make it count. Yep. Anything else to add before we we call it an evening? As far as Montreal's schedule go, I, I... I really hope that TFC decides that they're fired up, um, regardless of their spot in the standings. Um, and uh, who was the last game again? I, I've at New England. At New England. All right. So a good thing about that is that even if the Revs are out of the running, um, it's still difficult to play at New England because it's bad football turf. Um, and Friedel's teams are, if nothing else, combative. They're not, I guarantee you that Friedel's not going to let them come into that game not caring. They're going to at least, if they're, they, they have no chance of making the playoffs. He'll still have them engaged in the game though. They might not play very well. Um, they might still lose, but they're at least going to go out there and, and give it a shot. Um, which I think is better than, you know, it's not like Montreal is playing Orlando um, or hosting Colorado or something like that. They're actually going to play a team that is trying, um, which when you're in DC's situation, it might come down to that. It might come down to something like the revs just inexplicably caring a lot about that game and scraping a draw somehow. Um, hopefully it doesn't, it's not that stressful. Hopefully it's a little more easy than, and straightforward than that, but um, it might very well come down to the final day of the season. Can DC and Montreal, who who can get the better result against these non-playoff teams on the road? No less. Right. Uh, the the Toronto game against Montreal is four days after the Toronto game against DC. So interesting turnaround. They could play the the Reds could still have something to say about the the playoff race, even though they are outside looking in. Let's hope um, they save it up. Let's hope they save up their best stuff for Montreal. Yes, like, I would. Let, let's let's spoil for Montreal and not for DC. Yes, I would very much like them to be looking past DC for a chance to ruin Montreal's think- season. I think our friends at vocal minority would also jump in on that. If they could spoil one of those two seasons, they would probably prefer to spoil Montreal's. Yes. I, I feel comfortable assuming that as well. We should tweet at them and just, you know, confirm, but, but that, that would be my assumption as well. Thank you all for listening. That's it for this week's episode. Find us at blackandredunited.com. If you want to support us financially, do that at patreon.com slash filibuster. We do have bonus episodes from time to time just for for Patreon supporters. Um, We're going to try to do some more of those in the near future. Uh, So 
check it out. Uh, that that's basically you're literally helping us keep the show running when you donate. Uh, find us on Twitter at Black and Red U for the website at filibuster DCU for the podcast and all the inanity that that comes out of our Twitter account. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts. Mostly, just tell a friend about the show. When you are at the uh, the the tailgate, such as it is, at Audi Field, before the Montreal game, tell tell a friend about the show. Mention us to the, the random person uh, screaming their heads off behind you at, during the game. Or, you know, just find someone on the, the street don't grab them. Don't touch them. But be the raving lunatic that you know you want to be, and just talk no, about. No, no, I don't support podcast. that at all. <laughs> <laughs> that is Adam saying that. I do not support that at all. So, w- would you say your legal advice is not to do that, Ben? That is my one hundred percent legal advice. That I am not a lawyer, but my legal advice, not being a lawyer, is to don't do anything that Adam says. Well, let's see how that goes. For Jason and Ben, I'm Adam, and we'll talk to you again real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. It's binding legal advice.